Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Post Media Hockey Podcast Off the Post. I'm Paul Chapman joined by Montreal uh, Canadians beat writer for us, Stu Cowan. Stu, you're in Denver today. I am. It's actually a gorgeous day here, but I'm actually sitting inside in the press room right now, uh, just doing some pregame stuff after the Canadians had an optional morning skate. So looking forward to the game here tonight. That should be a lot of fun. I wanted to touch base with you on an issue that kind of sprouted here in Vancouver, but I I see it as more of a league-wide thing. Canucks beat the Oilers over the last weekend, and uh, Oilers coach uh, Ken Hitchcock was complaining about all the clutching and grabbing going on with Connor McDavid. And it kind of spawned a little bit of a debate about are the stars given the space to flourish in the NHL? And I look at the way the league's gone this year. Certainly Ovechkin leading the way, but there's so many other big names um, around the league who seem to be putting up great offensive numbers. How are you seeing the state of the NHL these days? Yeah, I mean, it is more offensive. I mean, you know, if I was playing against Connor McDavid, I'd be clutching and grabbing as much <laughs> as I could also. Uh, I mean, I remember the game of the Canadians were at Edmonton earlier this year, and I was there, and uh, McDavid broke down the, the, the wing, and uh, one of the real clutchers or grabbers, at least back-checking, used to sleigh ride all the time with Wayne Gretzky. You watch him back-checking, he'd always have the stick in the guy's waist and coming back on him. But, I mean, it, it's changed. But, I mean, with, with McDavid, I mean, I look at a guy like Max Domi here in Montreal, a lot smaller guy. Uh, quick, but Domi is pretty dirty behind the play when you watch him, and I think maybe that creates him, gives him a little bit more space. Um, you know, I don't see Connor McDavid play live enough to really know. I mean, I see Domi all the time. A lot of the stuff he does, you don't notice if you're watching on TV. So maybe it's a case of McDavid creating a little bit more space for himself, also. But uh, but again, I mean, if Hitchcock's complaining about it, I can see why other teams, uh, their strategy would be to sort of try and clutch and grab him as much as they could. But you got to catch them to clutch and grab them, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Where do you think the state of the officiating is in the NHL these days? I mean, are they calling enough? Is it there's what I've found over the last, say, even 10 years is whenever whenever there seems to be an issue around the quality of the game and they try and legislate it, it in there, the game really gums up with too many power plays. Like if you want to get clutching and grabbing or you said water skiing, all these things we've seen over the years, if it kind of comes from a crackdown from the refs, um, it really slows down the flow of the game. I, I tend to think the game this season, at least, is trending in the right way. I mean, I'd, I'd rather let them see a little bit of the stuff go. I mean, you don't want to get back to the days where it was, but you're right. You know, the, the constant penalties and the to the penalty box take, takes away the flow of the play. It leaves players who don't play on either the special teams sitting there. They're cold through so long. Uh, you know, the main thing with officiating now is, you know, the, the, the Goalie interference, I don't think anybody really knows what it is. And Claude Julien said recently that it's like flipping a coin on those decisions. It's 50-50 whether you get it uh, or not. And we, at the Bell Center the night, we had one of the, probably the worst call of the season when Arturi Lakenin was breaking in uh, sort of a two-on-one and he got a hook to the ice by Shabbat. And, uh, it was a brutal hook and he managed, he was sort of flying through the air almost like Bob Yorn, that famous goal. Then he made a beautiful pass, a beautiful setup for the goal. And then the referees... Uh, called Shabbat for hooking, and they called Lekkanen for diving, which was just an, like probably the worst call of the season. And in the league, that's looking for goals, I and mean, this was a 
spectacular goal. It would have been an all the highlight reels that night and uh, the end of the month highlight reels, I'm sure. And the referees, for some reason, decided to call in an embellishment, which is, I'm still shaking my head about it. And, and what you know, could have been one of the nicest goals of the year and ended up with uh, what I think is probably the worst call of the season. You know, it's funny because I look at where the NHL is in terms of the, the style of playing, the amount of goals we're seeing uh, in games and whether, it, you know, there's been all sorts of debate. I saw a little bit of complaining from goalies earlier in the year that the fact they made the pads smaller in order to maybe open up more space around the net uh, was causing them to get injured. But, you know, most people seem to write that off to just goalies complaining. Goalie, goalies always find something to complain about. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I, I go back just a few years and it seemed like the NHL was stuck on Ovechkin and Crosby, that these were the two guys they were going to market. And then the, the next level was so far below them. It was, uh, you know, you, you had all these old media guys <laughs> complaining about sort of the staleness of the game. But if I look at where we've got quickly in a couple of years, you know, you mentioned Max Domi. What a great story he is that he's developed in Montreal. Obviously, you got Austin Matthews. You have McDavid, who's come along. Um, Patrick Laine. There's there's y- players younger and younger. Uh, from what I can, like, go, if I go back 10 years, I'm seeing a younger crop of players contribute and really look like amazingly skilled hockey players. Are we seeing a new generation of stars really pushing the game forward right now? Without a doubt, I think you're seeing the kids now coming up who have basically been hockey machines about seven or eight years old you know when we went to that when hockey became a 12 month a year sport and at the elite level there's you know there's nutritionists there's strength coach there's skill coaches all these things when these kids are so young and as i said you know they're on the ice 12 months of the year and i think we're seeing them. I mean, these guys are hockey machines now uh, you know you look at buffalo uh you know with eichel and skinner and and as you said you know the you know there's just so many young players around the league. There's so much fun to watch. I mean, Mitch Marner looks like he's 12 years old. It looks like somebody brought their kid out to play in a father-son game. And, uh, you know, it's just so much fun to watch. Um, you know, in Montreal, we have uh, just very caught Kenyemi, who, uh, you know, he looks like he's 15, maybe. And uh, <clears throat> well, he hasn't had the offensive flair of some of these other guys. He's just a really smart, well-rounded, all-around player. And here's a guy, you know, a kid from Finland, not through the uh, Canadian or North American development program. And it's it's really fun to watch. I mean, you notice it when uh, teams are coming to town at the Bell Center, and, and it's almost every team that comes, there's a young guy that you can't wait to watch. And uh, as I said, the skill level is so much higher. Uh, you know, you look at players playing on the fourth line today. Um, you know, Kenny Agostino is playing on the fourth line of the Canadians, a former AHL scoring champion. Uh, there's just there's so much talent in the league, and there's no there's no, you know rolling four lines is obviously a key, and uh, the talent on the fourth line is I mean the fourth liners today were you know third liners if not second liners, uh, talent wise, skating wise, shot wise, everything like that. If you go back maybe you know 10, 15 years, and I think it's just going to continue. I mean I think there's there's so many of these young kids are, are and as more kids in the states play hockey uh, in some of these cities. Like, you know, they, and they the, all the kids have been drafted out of St. Louis. But that St. Louis Blues minor program, which is run by uh, so many of the former Blues players who stay there and then start coaching kids, uh, even out in San Jose. Uh, a friend of mine brought his, uh, Tori Mitchell was a Montreal native, played for the Canadians, and you know, played for San Jose when he first started. Uh, he grew up not too far from me. And a buddy of mine uh, arranged with Tori to bring a, a Montreal, my, a peewee team, I think, to San Jose for an exhibit, for, for an exchange trip type thing. And going there, he figured, oh, you know, we're going to kick their butt, these kids from San Jose, what can you know about hockey? And I got a shock. I mean, these kids, he said, they were really good. And again, it's the San Jose Sharks minor program that's running through the team with some former players there who are coaching. And, uh, you know, I think we'll see a thing, you know, you look at like Vegas and Seattle and these other cities, uh, 
uh, that are getting teams. You can see sort of a similar thing starting there. You know, Austin Matthews, who would have thought a kid from Arizona? Like, you know, I think he only played roller hockey until he was like 10 years old. You know, the expansion, I mean, as you say, look at the team, Vegas expansion team goes to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, you think back to how brutal some of those other expansion teams back going back to the Washington Capitals and, and teams like that. And it just shows a talent level. There's enough talent that when they expand, the expansion team can, can be good right away. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about the Capitals. I remember that. What was a seven or eight win season? Um, mm-hmm. I love that term, hockey machines, though. I, I want to ask you how that plays in Quebec in terms of it used to be that Quebec was just this hockey factory. As we know, I'm not going to go back all the way to the territorial rights um, mm-hmm. in the original six. But obviously, the, the Canadians always wanted to have the French Canadian superstar. And really, if you, if you look at it, if you go back there, the top players in the NHL, there were always French Canadian players. Now you are, you're getting players from anywhere. How are the grassroots in, in Quebec? Like, how is this, um, is there a frustration that it's not just, well, we always have the hockey superstars anymore. Is it just that much a bigger hype fight now that it's a global hockey industry? I think Quebec's fallen behind for whatever reasons, with the development of minor hockey players. I mean, you know, they're, some French media and fans, you know, complain the Canes don't draft enough French kids or don't have enough French kids, but they're just not there. I mean, just look at, excuse me, not only the Canadians, look at the, you know, how many, just not that many Quebec kids that get drafted every year. Uh, the reasons for that, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but I mean, it's something I think the you know, hockey Quebec uh, needs to look at. Uh, you know, the, you know, Jonathan Drouin now with Montreal. I mean, he's sort of the, everybody's hoping he can maybe be the next. You know, French Canadian superstar. He's you know he's fed. He's really been a different player this season with Max Domi here. Uh, first of all, it allowed him to move to the wing from center where he was just terrible last season. Plus the fact they're really good friends on and off the ice, and and they feed off each other. So you know, Joy has the skill level. And he sort of reminds you of the old uh, you know flying Frenchman that the Canadians used to have. But there there are definitely fewer of those uh, guys from Quebec around these days. All right, we'll leave that there after talking about the state of the NHL, Stu, and we'll come back and we'll, we will talk a little bit more about the Montreal Canadiens and some of the historical things that we've seen in the past from that franchise. So just hang on for one moment, folks, and we'll be right back. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3 Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. Stu, I wanted to talk to you about the Montreal Canadiens. Notably, last week, Carey Price moved into second place for the all-time wins as a goaltender. Um, raised a few questions for me. Obviously, he passed Patrick Waugh. If, if, if Waugh hadn't had the famous meltdown and, and left town, uh, Patrick would be way ahead in terms of wins, but it's still significant nonetheless. Um, where do you put Carey Price in the list of Canadians' greats? You go back to Jacques Plante and Patrick Waugh and those guys. And, uh, you know, Carey Price has won Olympic gold. He's won uh, World Cup of Hockey gold. He's won uh, Vesna trophy. He's won a Hart trophy. But he's he's never won a Stanley Cup. And, I mean, that's not well, no, that's not his fault. I mean, he's played on some pretty bad teams here. And he's been relied on uh, real heavily. Uh, you know, I believe he has a losing record in the playoffs even. Um, so, I mean, he'll be looked back on as one of the greats. But I don't think he'll be up there with uh, Plante and Waugh just unless he can, you know, won a Stanley Cup uh, uh, before his career ends. Um, you know, this is the first season of his uh, eight-year contract, uh, eight-year, $84 million contract. And last season, he was terrible. 
And this season, he went through another slump where he wasn't very good. He's been playing better of late. Uh, but you wonder if uh, time is catching up to him. Uh, he's a big goalie. There's a lot of wear and tear in that body when he's dropping down into the butterfly. Uh, if you go back two seasons ago, he struggled badly enough that it ended up costing Michel Terrier his job and then seemed to find his game after that when they hired Claude Julien. And then last season, as I said, it was just a disaster. Uh, but I don't think we'll see the Hart Trophy, Vesna Trophy, Carey Price again. I think it's just, you know, as I said, age catches up to everybody. But, um, you know, this team needs him. I mean, they still rely on him, and they're going to to an eight-year contract. They're going to rely on him uh, for quite a long time. You know, him and Shea Weber, I think, are the two keys to the Canadiens team, which is sort of, you know, they talk about, you know, Mark Fergerman doesn't like to use the word rebuilding. He calls it retooling. And I think part of that is it's hard to say it's a rebuild when, you know, you've got a uh, – a 31-year-old goalie and a 33-year-old captain defenseman. It is interesting when you look at the role of the goaltender. And, you know, I think back to Martin Brodeur with the Devils. Um, You know, it was sort of seen at that point that you need to go and get a superstar goalie if you're going to compete for the Cup. And I know in Vancouver, they got another Montreal kid, Roberto Luongo, thinking along that way. The game seems to have evolved. Now, there's no doubt, like I even hear it with the Leafs. The Leafs are having a great season, but people... We'll talk about the Leafs and whether they believe Frederick Anderson can get a cup in the end, but no one seems to want to pay for a goaltender. How important is it to have an elite goaltender, or do you just need to have someone who's steady and doesn't doesn't let in the soft one every game? Well, as one NHL scout I talked to told me, and he said that you know you don't appreciate good goaltending as much until you don't have it anymore. I think putting that much money and that much term into a 31-year-old goalie. I mean, I can see Carey Price's contract ending up like Roberto Luongo's contract was in Vancouver. I remember it was like, Cody had uh, something that he hated his contract. Or, my contract uh, sucks, uh, I think it was. My, my contract sucks, that's the exact quote, that's right. And uh, it looked at that time that he'd be untradeable. He was, tra- ended up that he was traded, and he's played really well with Florida, but he's starting to break down now also physically. I mean, he gets hurt a lot. As I said, you know, I can see his career path going forward being similar to Luongo's, where he can, he can still be great at times. I don't think he can carry that over an entire season for a Vesna Hart Trophy performance, but I think there's going to be ups and downs in, in Carey Price's game uh, for the rest of his career, and, you know, hopefully for the Canadians, there's a lot more ups and downs, but, uh, you know, they still rely on him heavily, especially with the defense the way it is now. Uh, again, I, you know, I wonder... If the Canes might have been better off, I don't know if they could have swung this, but if maybe before the expansion after Vegas, if they had maybe been able to somehow swing a deal from Mark Andre Fleury, which probably wouldn't have cost them that much because of, you know, if they were going to lose Pittsburgh, was going to lose in the expansion draft anyway, uh, and then shot the price around. And at that point, I think you would have got a ton for them. And you'd have, uh, you'd have another goalie, not only a goalie, a French Canadian goalie playing in Montreal, uh, cheaper than what price would cost. Uh, you know, you still got uh, Charlie Lindgren and Laval, who's a so-called goalie in the future, but I don't think you really have a goalie in the future when your number one guy uh, has an eight-year contract, and then you'd see what you get for price. And, you know, in hindsight, I think the team would be better now if they had done that, but they didn't. And, uh, you know, uh, Mark Bergeron, Jay Mark Bergeron has hitched his wagon to carry price, and, uh, you know, for the next eight years, that's the way it's going to go. Wow, that's a great scenario. And, by the way, I blame Rick DiPietro for all these mega goalie contracts that <laughs> yeah, seem to gum up every it. team that signs them. Yeah. I, um, I but, think the Islanders might still be paying them for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about trades because this year, when I look at the NHL and I look at, you know, who the real contenders are, I mean, I think you can go 10, 11, 12 deep. Um, 
and I look at what Montreal's done. You talk about that. Would that have been an amazing scenario if they had moved Carey Price? But, you know, they've swung for the fences. They moved P.K. Subban really in the prime of his career, made another big deal this year, uh, brought in Max Domi. Um, you know, I, I think that there's – for a bold GM, and I know Bergevin was sort of, okay, this is it. This is my last shot because the patient – certainly with the fan base seemed to have worn thin on him. Do you think we're going to see a pretty frantic uh, early 2019 with teams that think that they have a shot to get over the top and actually making some really bold trades this year? We could, although Bergevin says, as often said, he says, you know, you build your team in the summer and then you hope for the best. Uh, you know, he's noted it's really hard to make trades during the season with the salary cap and, you know, you're taking money, losing money or and maybe someone who can quarterback the power play, which is the worst in the league and is just dreadful. I mean, it's, it's you want to cover your eyes when they get a power play. It's uh, too bad they have to climb the penalties. But, um, you know, Bergeron made a lot of mistakes, which resulted in this team being as bad as they were last season. Um, the Subban Weber trading, I mean, it'll take a couple of years before we know exactly who wins that one. I think. Nashville wins just because Subban's younger. Uh, he plays more of today's style of game for an NHL defenseman. Uh, Weber, you know, is, is a lot of miles on that body, but he's fantastic for the Canadians. Um, you know, the trade Domi for Galchenyuk, Domi's been so good here. I think he was a guy, I think he was a kid who grew up the son of Ty Domi. You know, was, he used to walk around the streets of Toronto with his father being stopped every 10 feet, you know, by fans. And he grew up in that environment, uh, you know, he played junior in one, uh, as close to pro hockey at the junior level you can get in, in uh, the spotlight on him there. Uh, the spotlight was on him with the World Junior Tournament when uh, it was in Montreal and trial. And then he finds himself playing in Arizona, you know, in, in uh, the furthest thing from the real hockey market. Uh, small crowds, probably walk around, nobody knew who he was or cared who he was type of thing. And I, I think it really hurt his game. I think he's one of those guys who, who feeds off the spotlight, and feeds off, uh, you know, being seen and being known and, and he's come to Montreal and he's just, you know, he's a guy who had nine goals last season and, and four of them were into, uh, into an empty net. He's already got 14 goals this year and none of them are empty netters. Uh, you sort of shake your head and wonder how he could have been so bad in Arizona. And, and I think that's it. I think he would just, you know, he always says the right things when you ask him about it. He says, I like that Arizona. It's a great city. Great it's a, uh, but, but I think there's a part of him that felt lost just being, uh, being out of that, hockey environment and then the other trade that really the probably the most impressive trade that Bergeron has made I mean they painted themselves into a corner with Max Pacioretty yeah. and it got ugly it got it got personal it was you know told me that uh, Pacioretty said he didn't ask for a trade the team said he did ask for a trade I think the truth is somewhere in between I have a feeling Mark Bergeron might have been chewing out Pacioretty one time unhappy with his work ethic last year and Pacioretty might have said you know well, if you don't like me then trade me and uh uh, I think Bergeron might have ran with that saying that he asked to be traded. I have no idea what they made it personal. I had no idea. Bergeron has a history of making things personal. If you go back to Subban or you go back to Markov or you go back to Radulov. Uh, but then he pulled off a three-for-one trade. He had Thomas Tatar, who's been fantastic since yeah. he's been here. Uh, really good with the puck, good work ethic, uh, really plays well with uh, Gallagher and, and then all on that line. Then he got uh, Suzuki, uh, you know, one of the top prospect, a former first-round pick from Vegas, and, a, and who can play center, where the Canes have been looking for center for so long, and now have a little bit of depth there, plus a second-round pick. So. Okay, Stu, that, all, all that, the stuff about Domi is fascinating to me, and I think this is obviously someone in a, in a Canadian market as well. Um, 
you know, you see some players that I think they don't like the scrutiny. Maybe you're more of a veteran player. You can't go to the store without getting 100 selfies and autograph requests. And so you would love to go play in Arizona. I think we saw that with Roberto Luongo, why he wanted to go back to Florida so bad. But it's mm-hmm. interesting to see the other end, isn't it? That, as you say with Domi, I mean, what it's like for a kid who's maybe grown up uh, living and breathing hockey and wants to be in a hockey market. I, I mean, I actually wonder if Austin Matthews is better off in Toronto than he would be in his hometown in, in uh, Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. I mean, probably. I mean, it's... Uh, and it's refreshing to see that, you I mean, there's so many guys you hear who don't want to play in Montreal. I hear it all the time, whether they, they're having a, no, you know, they have a no trade clause in Montreal to taxes or the fact the team's not good or whatever. But from day one, only wanted to come here. And I think it's admirable that a guy, in the same way, I think it's really admirable that John Tavares chose to play in Toronto. I mean, you know, he could have gone anywhere else and you know, wanted to live a more quiet life. He wanted to go play for the team he cheered for as a little boy. And he knew going into it, everything that's involved with that. I'm sure John Tavares can't walk five feet down the street in Toronto without being stopped. But uh, uh, I remember sitting with Yvonne Cornway at a golf tournament uh, a few years ago at some charity event. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be sitting at dinner table to been stopped. Dinner, like people asking for photos or autographs, so they were very cool with them. No excuses, sure. You know, and then he, he, for photos, he, you know, he, he signed autographs. And I said to him, I said, Do you ever get tired of that? And he says, I'll get tired of it when, the, when nobody cares anymore. Nobody asks me for autographs. So that's when it'll, that's when it'll upset me. And, um, you know, Tavares, I think, falls into that category. Max only falls into that category. Nice to see guys who want to play in an environment where every game matters. And, you know, speaking with Max Domi a couple times a series mentioned that. He says, every game matters here. Every game, like, he says, every game the NHL matters to a player. Everywhere, that doesn't, but he says, every game here matters to the fans. Like, every game, every shift, like, people know what you're doing. People know when you had a good game. People know when you had a bad game. And he loves that. And, and as I said, I think part of it is the fact he grew up in the NHL environment with his dad. Uh, his dad's been around a lot. I think his dad's having a lot of fun seeing him play for Montreal also. He's been in quite a few of the games. And, uh, and um, maybe he can spread the word around the NHL that the free agents you know, maybe guys not, not such a bad place to play. Uh, a lot of demands on you. You got to play here. I mean, you can't you can't take shifts off. I think that's something that Jonathan Drouin learned last season, and even his agent Alan Walsh mentioned that to me. He said he realized that if you take a night off, you're going to hear about it on the radio and the newspapers, on TV. Uh, people, fans notice stuff here. The media notice stuff here, and, and the fans of media are tough on guys. Okay, Stu, we'll leave the second period there. We'll come back and we will talk a little bit about Toronto and some of the Canadian markets. Would you give Brock Besser a long-term contract? Can Elias Pettersson's body stand up to the rigors of a full NHL season? Is Jacob Markstrom really the guy who can take the Canucks to the next level or do they need to seriously look at their prospects and goal? All these questions and many more just like them are answered twice a week in our White Towel podcast. If you want to hear the stories that our writers, Ed Willis, Ben Kuzma, Patrick Johnson, and yes, even Harrison Mooney, garner each week on the Canuck Beat to find out what you need to know to be the most knowledgeable fan in your group, then you should download the White Towel Podcast. Download them, subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, give us a good rating if you like them. But if you want to be one of the Canucks' most knowledgeable fans, you'll want to download these podcasts every week and find out what our experts have to say. Welcome back to the Off the Post 
Hockey Podcast. Uh, Stu, I wanted to ask you about the Canadian teams. Of course, you're from Montreal. You covered the Canadians. 1993, the last Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup, the Montreal Canadiens. I'm looking at the standings now, and the Leafs are second, the Jets are third, and the Flames are fourth overall in the NHL. Now, we got a long way to go, and certainly people had said, look, last year... Winnipeg easily could have beaten Vegas and, and been in the Stanley Cup, and people see that team was on a rise. Toronto had been one of the favorites, as you mentioned, bringing in Tavares, already had a pretty talented core and a superstar coach there. The Flames are a huge surprise to me to be there at fourth. Do you think any of these teams have the lasting power to actually take a serious run at the Cup? And I would even turn that around a little bit and say, I look at Montreal, they had a great start, um, come back a little bit to earth now, but, you know, do they have a playoff run in them? Are we going to see a lot of good Canadian content making a charge for the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I think the Canadians, and they're, they're not a Stanley Cup contending team. I mean, they're going to fight tooth and nail just to try and get that uh, second or one of those wild card playoff spots. They're hanging on to the second spot right now. Uh, they just don't have the, the, the talent that a team like Toronto has, the top-end, top-level talent. Uh, you know, I, I can see Toronto going along. I mean, the question is always going to be cold ending, for any team uh, going into the playoffs, but it, it's good hockey. It's fun to see. You know, I mean, I did the Western Canada road trip uh, earlier in the season. I was nice to see in Calgary the just the the, the people talking about the team and, and the team playing so well. And uh, you know, Toronto. I love. It. I try and watch. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the games in Montreal are blocked out with Leafs. But I try and watch the Leafs as much as I can when they're on TV. They're just they're fun. They're entertaining. You know, there's a lot of Montrealers who who uh, hate everything Toronto related. You know, I can't, <laughs> can't imagine. Not just Montreal, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, mean, I don't. The only the only team in sports I cheer for is whoever is playing the New England Patriots. It's a whole other story. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, same with Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg has a, such a mix of talent uh, and grit. And uh, you know, Johnny Hockey in Calgary is so much fun to watch. And we're talking about these young players, and and not only young players, but players who would, couldn't have played in the, the league. You know, little guys like Johnny Gujo couldn't have played in the NHL when it was a hooking and grabbing and clutching. They just would have had some guy hacking in the whole game, and he never would have been able to do uh, do what he's able to do. So. You know, the Canadian team, you know, it's not that long ago that was another that made the playoffs. And, and, and it's just, the NHL needs the Canadian teams to be good. I mean, it's, they're, they're big money drivers, uh, uh, you know, the, the passion of the fans, and, and you know, and in the original six teams. You know, it's, it's sad to see, you know, Chicago struggling now on the downside. Uh, to me, the Canadian teams and the original six teams, it's important in the NHL that those teams be good. And uh, with Toronto, it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's been really fun to watch Toronto build you know, going back to you know when Hard Babcock and, uh, and the Shannon plan with Brendan Shanahan saying there was going to be a lot of pain before uh, before uh, were good. There was pain, but not nearly as much as I think they thought. And uh, you know, the United States Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. You know, it was in 1993. That's a long time ago. I think I had hair back then. <laughs> well, I'm, I kind of go with you, and I know what the climate is here out west. I, I think if the if the Leafs were to make the Stanley Cup, it would get people interested, whether they're cheering for them or against them. Personally, I would it, love to see exactly the, like the Yankees, right? Yeah, well, I would love to see the Leafs mm-hmm. up four nothing uh, in the third period of Game Four with a three game to none lead, and then see them lose. I think that would be <laughs> what happened to them against. They did something like that already with Boston. In Boston, but that was the first round. I'd like to see this in the yeah. Stanley Cup final. Yeah. I think it would really generate yeah. the interest. But where do the Leafs have a weakness? Like. They're, they're second right now, obviously. Matthews was out for a, for quite a while. Uh, they had the whole Nylander saga. Now he's back under contract. Do you think there's an area that they still have to address if they really want to push forward? 
Um, but, you know, they sort of remind me of the old Edmonton Oilers, you know, with uh, Grant Fearon. You know, okay, Grant, just make sure you only let in three or four because we're going to score five. But I just hope that when the playoffs start, I just want to tell the ginsy little penalties being called in a parade to the penalty box. We also don't want to see a guy like Mitch Marner being mugged when he has the puck. Yeah, it's one of the things that, for me, if I look at the – if I, I, it's it's a it's a broadcasting cliche that I absolutely hate. Where the refs, they say the refs don't want to decide the game. Well, when you're not calling obvious penalties, you're deciding the game. So I just think they hope you're taking the skilled players out of the game, and you're letting a team that doesn't have as much talent be the talented team. Yeah. So I just hope that it, once we get get to the playoffs again, I want some of these matchups. Just curious for your opinion on that before we let you go. Um, you know, we hear of these great NHL rivalries. I, and if you look at something out here, we had Canucks and Bruins because it happened in the playoffs. They had Canucks and Blackhawks because it happened in the playoffs. And those ones are going to happen. I loved seeing, um, I loved seeing the the Edmonton Calgary battle earlier this year on on the Saturday night on Hockey Night Canada, and mm-hmm. seeing sparking. You know, you really need the playoff battles to bring that along again. I would love to see Montreal and Toronto meet in the playoffs just to kind of bring that back. They really, it, to me, it hasn't really been a rivalry since. I don't know, maybe the 60s when they were both sort of, they, they would meet in the playoffs and then the obviously the divisional format split that up a little bit. But is, does it still matter in Montreal when you play the Leafs? Oh, for sure. I mean, the Bruins are obviously the biggest rival and part of that is because there were some like, 10 years in a row or something, the Canadians and Bruins met in the playoffs. That's where that rivalry was, uh, uh, you know, what's the original six rivalry. But that's where that rivalry really heated up. But, you know, the, the bit of the rivalry that happens up now with the Senators is through meeting them in the playoffs. I mean, the Canadians, Leafs, Playoffs series would just be insane. I mean, you imagine what the TV rating TV ratings would be record breaking. I'm sure, and it would be fun to see. It would be, it would be great. I think it'd be fantastic. Rock. It would be. Uh, uh, I'd love to cover that. <laughs> it's just it'd be so much fun. So um, yeah, it's possible. You know, we'll see what happens. It could be possible with an early early round matchup or something. But uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope that might happen. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there then. Stu, thanks for joining us. Happy holidays to you. Uh, all the Canadians fans, safe travels back on the road. Hope you have a good Christmas at home. Everyone, thanks for listening. If you uh, like us, subscribe through Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. We'll be back next week to talk more NHL.